Welcome to Bodies in the Post, where I speak to art makers, product creators, scientists and revolution makers who make us rethink what it is to be human in these post-human times. Here, we get to know the humans behind the creations and their inner worlds that form the basis of what drives them. I'm your host, Lydia Kay, a researcher in this field. Hello, I'm back in the sound room, which was previously under construction, and I was doing my intros and outros from my lovely living room. It looks fantastic in here, and it has that fresh paint smell. The downside is that I can definitely hear the rumblings of the tube underground every 20 or 30 seconds. (laughs) Apparently, not even mountains of padding can block out the sound of London. It is a basement, though, so probably can't be avoided. And we're yet to see if it actually does come through on the recordings itself. And listen, beggars can't be choosers. So if you ever hear weird rumbling sounds in my records, please know it's coming from the Bakerloo line, not from me. (laughs) So this is episode seven of Bodies in the Post. And my guest this week is artist Precious Opara, who is a figurative painter who uses her own body in her work to explore the bounds of humanity. She paints on canvas and infuses nature in the scenes, so her body is often enveloped in water, surrounded by plants or floating above mountains. What really drew me to her work is that she engages with the body in such a tactile way. Her form might be twisted into contorted shapes or have multiple faces or limbs, or she might approach the form from an unusual angle. I also love how on her Instagram account, she posts close-ups of her paintings so you can see the detail of intricate folds on the sole of a foot, the nape of a neck or an ear, or creases where the body is bending, often surrounded by ripples and ripples of water. Post-human theory is deeply informed by new materialist philosophy, which focuses on a return to the importance of the body and nature as new and advancing technologies mean that there are more conversations about the development of robots, AI, cyberspace, or a focus on altering the body to make it stronger, healthier, more beautiful, or live longer, new materialists point out that we end up neglecting the almighty power of the natural body and our natural surroundings. Humans and our bodies and our behavior directly impact on our environment and in order to make positive changes we need to reconnect with the body reconnect with nature and generally be aware that we are still animals sharing this earth with other species that said post-human theory is also about technology of course firstly because we can't stop these advancements from happening but also because technology is ultimately from nature humans made it with the resources around them But the theory attempts to focus more on how we can use technology ethically and harness it with nature to create a more post-anthropocentric society that doesn't put the human at the centre of the universe, basically. But anyway, I digress. Precious Opara's work is a celebration of flesh, of our lives here on this planet and the wonders of nature. In many of her paintings, there is this real sense of joy and she might be beaming underwater, I know art is subjective, but I think she captures this idea of human essence and the purity of nature. She describes her painting as surrealist because in her words, she is trying to see what is felt. We spoke about the role of her body in her art and how her relationship with her body has changed through being a fashion model. Precious is undeniably beautiful, as you would expect since she's a model, but she talks about how she wants to challenge stereotypical notions of what beauty is 
So she tries to push herself outside of her comfort zone with artistic editorial shoots and through experimenting with her own form and poses. In this episode, she speaks of previous struggles with confidence in her body when she was younger and about how her first nude modelling shoot, which ended up being the cover of a magazine, felt like pure liberation from the pressures of feeling desirable. We also talk about how her femininity and ethnicity play into her work. Despite obviously wanting to move past the notion of being a black female artist rather than simply an artist, first and foremost, she talks about how being black and female automatically politicises her work. This is mostly due to an absence of visibility of both black bodies in art and black artists being exhibited within galleries and museum spaces. Although changes are being made with this, Precious and I discuss some stats and facts about the lack of female artists and artists of colour in the art world. It's still clearly a really big issue, so can't be ignored. I've linked the website used for these stats and facts in the show notes. What struck me most about Precious is her energy. She came into the studio an absolute ball of energy with wide smiles, which I loved. She clearly has this pure, undiluted love of being alive, which is wonderful to be around. She left her job as a freelance artistic director for arts magazines in March 2022 to become a full-time artist and is only in her mid-twenties, so it will be really exciting to see her career develop. I hope you enjoy listening. It's really nice to meet you in real life. I've been stalking you on Instagram for a little while and looking at your art. And in terms of defining and describing your work for the listeners, I would say you mostly work on canvas and your paintings are figurative, self-portraits. And there's a sort of surrealist quality about them in that your body sometimes has like multiple faces or you might be swimming over mountains. But I'd love to hear how you would define your work. I mean, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, I do love surrealism and my work is based in surrealism because the motivations of my practice is essentially I'm trying to see what is felt so it's often the diving into such a tiny feeling or thought and they always have links to physical surroundings that I've been or that I've seen I feel like I'm a bit like a magpie, but for natural settings, because when there's a sky that I like or trees, the placements that I like, or just even like water flows that I like, I just have to stare at it and take photos and just keep it because when I experience an emotion, for some reason, in my mind, they always turn out visually. Your emotions, you mean? Yeah. So like I just completed a work where I was discussing this kind of weighted feeling of when you're stressed. And I just sat with it for like about two weeks. And in my mind, it just it was like a water drop but that never kind of fell and that it was almost like elastic so I kind of decided to make this kind of work of this idea of like holding water where water felt heavy and trying to basically explore this idea of how something like stress can sit with you and how it like literally weighs Mm, like a building pressure yeah so I think that's what my work is always just striving to best articulate because I often feel that I struggle to kind of explain that verbally on other senses. And obviously there's not a camera inside of your brain and like it's the ultimate task to get others to understand your thought processes and such like that. So I'm just lucky that I found painting as a medium to kind of try and best articulate what I'm feeling. Yeah. 
I mean, art is fantastic for that in the sense that it conveys and communicates things that you can't always explain or can't always be verbalised properly. And I feel that in your artwork that there is... It does feel as well that there's sometimes a tension or a joy. Quite a few of your artworks, I feel like there's this sort of overflowing joy in some of them. There's one in particular I'm thinking of where you're just like smiling and you're you're underwater and you just look so unbelievably full of joy. I get inspired by like living. I could literally be sat here and just a little like a random memory, a certain reaction towards something like someone dropping something in a cup of water and I'm like, okay, why did that capture my thoughts? What did I think about that? And then certain instances of feelings to compositions that I've seen before. And then I'll pin back to images that I've taken and just start rummaging through them. And it's just like, how am I going to link these compositions that I really like and these colours that I really like to this emotion that I'm really trying to explore? And how can I produce this essentially surrealist fantastical imagery that now marries these things and illustrates this exploration of anxiety, exploration of joy, exploration of stress. I really wish I could better explain it, but it feels like... Have you ever seen those montages of it's like finding images really quickly? Yeah. That's what it's like in my brain. Like those reels where they sort of have 10 still images in a second yeah. or something. It's just how it fires off in my brain and my whole camera roll is just like random skies. And I don't know, it never gets old or boring to me. I feel like no image is the same. I recently did a residency that was never Every new place, the natural surroundings look so different to me. And you have to take advantage of being in this space because we live in London. I mean, like we have really nice parks and whatnot, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Right? It's not the same as, you know, knowing that nature is all around you. Right. And not being able to hear cars or traffic. And I mean, obviously, you can go and stand in the middle of Richmond Park or <laughs> Hampstead Heath, but you're, you're not separated from it. You're still aware that you're in a city, in the middle of a city, in a sense. Yeah. And it's a somewhat curated park. Yeah. Um, I love that with Hampstead Heath, they really try to not do that. And they'll have like, <laughs> they have sheep now, don't they? Do they, they have sheep wandering around. But I think they were really trying to make it this sort of very natural, quite wild space. Because mm. obviously some of the parks in London are super curated mm. and feel a little bit clinical. Yeah. But Hampstead Heath, they really try and keep it kind of like actual English countryside. But yeah, generally speaking, you can't forget that you're in a city and that changes your perception of it. And even if you go swimming in the ponds at Hampstead yeah. Heath, you're still aware that you're like in the ponds at Hampstead Heath in just, London. I just paid five quid for this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I paid five quid for the privilege of getting muddy. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Like, but it's still it's still gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like nothing beats being in actual nature and then being completely submerged in it. I feel like a lot of your art communicates that as well because you're often in the water mm-hmm. and there's that element of joy and feeling of happiness that comes with it. Do you ever feel like you want to up sticks and move, move out of London? I mean, Do you feel like you could get more inspired in nature? Here's the thing. I feel like London's Stockholm Syndrome. Got like, it's like <laughs> you can go so many places and you're like always going to come back because it has the specific... Has a specific, specific yeah, about it that just keeps you coming back. And like... This is like an emotionally abusive relationship. (laughs) Honestly, like, but also it's like, especially for England, moving out, people look at you that you've got 10 heads. And it's like, I just can't. That's the one thing is that coming into these rural spaces, especially in Europe, where as beautiful as the landscapes are and whatnot, I am still aware. I'm still a black woman. And these are going to cause issues for me. In the English countryside, you mean? Yeah, still, I'm under no illusion about what this country is. So as pretty as it is, I would still have to visit. But in terms of moving there, 
No. I like my multicultural hop. It's yeah. the way I was raised. It's the way I know. And I don't really enjoy being in spaces where I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. I've had that experience. It's a very lonely one. And it's not something I'm going to willingly put myself into if I can help it, essentially. Mm-hmm. So as much as I love these residencies and whatnot, it often was... So where were they? So one was in Tuscany and the other one was in Gisenberg. Am I saying it right? In the Netherlands? Never heard of it, but I'm sure you're right. (laughs) (laughs) If I said it wrong, I'm so sorry. If I've mispronounced anything on this podcast, I'm so sorry. Yeah, me too. Snap. (laughs) I'm sure I'll do it a lot. Yeah, like as beautiful as these places were, I was always aware of such things. And the thing is, it's funny because there was a time where I kind of like forgot for a moment. Because, okay, when I told people I was going to Tuscany for a month, everyone I talked to was already like, be careful. Even my Italian friends, she was like, please be careful. Because it's not multicultural. It's not. So, yeah there was an instant like we went to go get a coffee and I came back to my friends and they're all white and essentially they were talking to a local guy I walked back up to them and he just started to try try to shoot me away he didn't realize that I was with them oh my god and started to shoot me away and then I was like what and then they were like no she's with us and then he was like oh sorry sorry but then oh my god There was so many things happening at this moment because I was, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so that's just happened. And you wouldn't have known how to react to that. Yeah, like I just, because in terms of when you're experiencing discrimination, it is not that easy to switch to this like confrontational defensive mode. It really isn't. Like it's in the peak of summer. I'm having a great time having coffee. And then this just happens, completely throws me off my axis. I don't jump into that defensive mode because I'm just like at a loss. Mm. And it was a lesson to me in terms of you can, as much humanity as I provide to myself, as much love and as much freedom as I provide for myself to explore all these nuances and intricacies of my own humanity, there are people who do not see that as valid for me. And I have to protect mine as much as possible, as much as I can, because that is not always going to be validated by someone else. And the thing is, it's not that I'm looking for it to be validated by someone else. It just, it's also like, I don't want to be like a hard person. I don't want to make myself tough like that because it doesn't feel good to me. Like Mm. I wanted to embrace everything that I was enjoying, but that it just, I don't know, it was a bit of like the the reality dose of where I was and Mm. these social nuances of where I am right now. But yeah, it was a lesson about like, yeah, I love being alive so much. I love experiencing these things. And okay. that took you out of your enjoyment. It, it really yeah. did. And as as much as you don't want to be this like defensive person, or whatever, like you have to protect that. Yeah. Because this won't be the last time something like this happens to you. And that's so shit, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's so awful that you had to firstly experience that at all. And mm. secondly, at a point when you're feeling so great about life and yeah. about what you're doing and where you are and who you are. And then it then snaps you out of it, but it also then dominates your thoughts. Yeah. And that then can create a cycle of like, now I'm angry that I'm angry yeah. because you're that's dominating my thoughts and I, I want this to be in my thoughts instead. Yeah. And so then it becomes this sort of cycle of like, how dare he do that to me and take this away from me? And, and now I'm thinking about what he did and I'm thinking about what I should have said and how I should have reacted yeah. and all of those things. It then clutters and like morphs and mutates what was something that was really beautiful. Exactly. And yeah. then it's like the whole thing becomes, you know, you're angry and fucked off by the whole thing situation yeah 
situation. Yeah, I'm so sorry you had to experience that. It was just like lessons, lessons. But yeah, yeah it's, I think in terms of like where I put my roots down, I was like, I'm going to have to see some brown faces. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. And there's more life and vitality and interesting conversations and languages and cultures when there's a mix of people. I feel like life must get so boring if everyone is the same. Like I went to Kent, yeah. no offence, Kent, <laughs> but I went to Kent for like a weekend away and it's beautiful. Yeah. Like, of course, it's, the countryside is stunning and there's lovely big old houses everywhere. But there was no, everybody looked the same. Yeah. Everybody was, you know, we'd go to a pub and there may be different classes there, but it was like very much felt predominantly quite wealthy. Yeah. And I was just thinking, God, you'd get a bit bored of this. But you'd be surprised they don't. Yeah. Well, I think some people are scared of difference rather than it's, than like you know, intrigued by it or excited by it or finding it kind of energising in terms of, you know, when I do lecturing, the classrooms are so full of people who are from completely different countries. Yeah. And that makes the experience for them and me so much more interesting yeah. and so much more deep and colourful because the conversations that we have about stuff aren't just from like one perspective and one person's idea of how society or culture or history looks. Exactly. And it's such an important place to learn in that sort of environment where you're hearing about, you know, what gender might look like for someone who lives in Iran and they have to wear a veil. And then someone who also used to live in Iran, but they left and they don't wear a veil. And like those kind of conversations are so important, I think. Yeah. And if you're living in a place where there's just none of that and everyone is the same, I feel like it's kind of sapped of creativity and... Yeah, in terms of you being a creative as well, like you kind of need that difference and diversity in life to bring you new inspiration, probably. Yeah, I feel like now I've had multiculturalism. I'm not going to give that up. Like, yeah, I think once you've grown up in it and just being so used to like diversity is the default. I'm not the idea of choosing the polar opposite for roots doesn't make sense to mm. me. And it's just not something that I think it would essentially be a rejection of. You would feel rejected, you mean? I mean, I know I'd be rejected, but <laughs> but I think for me to choose that would probably be a rejection of my own beliefs and right. also like my own upbringing. So, yeah. Yeah. Is there a, there's like a term for that? I think it's cognitive dissonance mm. when your behavior or your actions or your choices don't align with your ethical and moral compass. Okay, politician. <laughs> what? Shout out Tory front bench. <laughs> you have no morals. <laughs> this connection that you have with nature that is really present in your work it feels like nature is such a kind of force and you're often in water bodies of water feature in your work a lot there's blues and greens and it feels like it's a really key element of what you're expressing and I, I think the fact that because a lot of the time you're either nude or semi-nude and it's kind of this almost like going back to birthing and going back to like nature and being completely enveloped almost like in the womb is that a fair kind yeah. of analysis? Yeah, because in terms of when you're thinking about consideration of what needs to be present in terms of best articulating what you're trying to say, when I think about clothing, I think those are a specific choices. I think about those not only as fashion statements, but I'm like, what else do they say about this whole context? So I often admit those because I'm like, they don't really have a context in this your clothes. Yeah. Yeah. In this scenario, like what I'm trying to say, often, yeah, they won't be there. And I found it not strange, but I guess I forgot 
that when you make these works and you put them out there, because of your body, you cannot control that. People take your body and kind of sexualize it and kind of add these sexual connotations to your work. And I think the first time I got comments referring to my work as sexy, I was just like, what? Really? Yeah, because I was like... So other people refer to it as sexy and you find that... Do you find that insulting or more surprising? I think the first time someone called it sexy, I felt creeped out. Hmm. But then... As anyone who's gone like done like GCSE art history, like you've seen the nude paintings, you've briefly discussed maybe with your teacher if they cared enough, you've briefly discussed why so many women nude in art has been like a thing. So me being nude isn't something new and the sexualization of a woman's body isn't new in art. But I guess for me as a woman depicting my body, I didn't take it like that. I was just feeling not indifferent, but not feeling so afraid to depict my body as it is. That for me was a very significant point of development, like emotionally and just conceptually for me. I was like, okay, yeah, I can do it great. Now that's no longer a barrier or an obstacle in the way of the concept that I'm trying to display an image, that I wasn't sexualizing myself. And that, and the fact that I didn't feel insecure. As in you're removing the sexualization from the body. Yeah, but like in my mind I am because that's not the motivating force behind me putting my naked body on there. Of course, However, yeah. with all these freedoms I've allowed in terms of the way I want to display my body, I can't, I still can't control how someone else is going to view that so like when I first got the sexy comment I was like what the fuck I didn't like it but taking a step back I was like well that's just how it is you can do all these things you can state what your uh, purposes are what your motivations are however you cannot control how someone is going to take your work yeah and just to like get all academic here but you know about the death of the author and this idea that basically the artist or the author's intentions don't matter because what actually matters is the audience's perception and how they receive it so however they receive it is the art in a sense yep And that must be really hard because you kind of have to relinquish a bit of your control over what you're trying to portray and the feelings and emotions and everything that you've put into it. And then someone being like, oh, sexy. I can see how you're like, no, that it's not that. It's meant to be so much more than that. And it's frustrating, I think, because, I mean, like you said, about art history is kind of overpopulated with female bodies being objectified and sexualized. And maybe it's just that we're so familiar with that way of viewing art, that our minds, when we see a naked body, think, about sex like I wonder if that is something potentially I'm going to say a bit more of like a a male way of looking at art and I think that obviously the art world is very predominantly masculine and I mean you must struggle in a sense with the art world because there's so much of the art world is run by white men still and there are some positive changes that are happening and I don't want to fall into the kind of age-old discriminatory trope of like oh you're a female artist you're a black artist Mm -hmm. or you're a female black artist because the art world is so populated with white male artists who are just called artists and anyone else is called a female artist, a disabled artist, a black artist. And it must be frustrating, but at the same time, it does feel like these identity markers of yours feature a lot in your work in a sense of like, they are important. Your femininity is important. Your Mm -hmm. body is important. Your blackness is important. It would be remiss of me to kind of overlook that in this conversation. And I wondered what you feel about that and how you kind of position your body in that space. Mm. I mean, because my work is self-referential, I think the impact of me being a black woman visibly in my work, I think that is a secondary because for me, it's literally my body. I don't have any, I don't have another body. It's mine. Like I'm 
You're using yourself. Yeah, yeah I'm using yeah. myself. I'm I'm exploring all the bounds of my humanity that I know. Like these are the freedoms that I that I have. I am going to use because I have it and I give it to me. Like I feel like when people or when I've had responses about it being somewhat impactful or someone being excited to see me as a black woman and all like a black form in this manner, it's. I mean, it's annoying that we even have to have this conversation in a sense. And I feel bad for that. But at the same time, it's almost like you can't not address it because it does feel important, which is sad. Yeah. But like... I was actually looking up some proper numbers, some actual figures. There's a website called the National Museum of Women in the Arts, and their website is nmwa.org. And then there's another part of the website, which is about getting facts, facts and figures, basically, because they don't lie. And it was telling me that 88% of art that features in museums is created by male artists, and 85% is created by white artists. And this is actually quite a vast improvement from like a decade ago. (laughs) And even though people studying art degrees and obtaining art degrees are approximately 78% female or non-male, only 20% or 30% of artists who are represented by galleries are women. And that's still actually an improvement from about 10 years ago. I'm in the wrong business, guys. And women's art tends to get discounted first in galleries. There's loads more numbers and facts Mm. on that website. But I wanted to talk about it more more than just like a gut feeling or like Mm. everybody knows it's male-dominated. You know, the figures don't lie. And it's a shame that we talk about your art in the sense of it being like a female body and a black female body. But at the same time, it does feel like it's important for there to be more art that features bodies like yours, because it's so important for people to feel represented and to go into gallery spaces and to see diversity when we're not there yet. But I'm sure it probably gets tedious for you. I bet everybody talks about this with you. And there's a part of me that didn't want to. Yeah, for me, as like whether it's like a great thing to see my work and maybe be inspired by that or feel represented by that. I try not to take that on as my responsibility because my responsibility is primarily is to make the work and make my art. And all I'm doing is illustrating my experiences. And I, it's my utmost conviction. However, I, I know that we like I'm part of the world, like I'm a citizen of the world. And I understand that when it's out and when it's presented, Placing my work has political connotations. It has political yeah. boxes. Whether you like it or not, yeah. and that's the annoying thing, I think, for a lot of artists in your yeah. position, that they're like, well, I don't want to be a role model. This isn't my responsibility. Yeah. And it's definitely not. But at the same time, it is political, and it, annoyingly so it is. You can't and escape it. You can't escape it, yeah. But it, that's why I think... It almost sounds patronising to be like, what's what you're doing is so important. But, you know, for all of the people out there who feel like they wouldn't fit into the art industry, who maybe want to paint or want to go into the arts, the more that we see of different kind of artists and different bodies in art, it feels like it'll start to open up for change and and that will start happening. Not that that's your responsibility, but you're contributing to a really positive movement. That's how I see it. I mean, like, in the same breath when I say it's not my responsibility, also, like, I am happy to be part of that because there are contemporary female artists that I love. And I think I'm fortunate enough that my first break into this industry is very much women-led. Molly uh, Barnes, my mentor, she runs She Curates. The first person I spoke to about this very in depth about what I wanted to do and what I wanted my practice to be. And was this before you started painting? So this is when I started painting, but like I was very much like I have no idea how to have a career as a fine artist. I just thought you have to be rich or know someone who knows someone. Yeah, ne- nepotism yeah. or wealth will get you there. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I was like. It's a thing of luck, essentially. That's what I was, and I, it still is. 
but just meeting someone who really has experience but also was able to connect with my work was just a whole new world opened up. But I'm just thankful so far that the galleries that I work with and the people that I've met so far, everyone's a woman. <laughs> That's great. As an emerging artist, my goals right now are just so simple and it's just like make, paint, Last year in a residency, I met uh, a really incredible artist and she has way more experience than I do. She has at least 30s more experience than I do. But she was just so chill about everything. I'm here panicking like, oh my God, like I'm 25. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just really like painting. Like, how do you know when to say yes and no to things? And she's just like, yeah, none of that is your business right now. You just need to make the work. (laughs) She's like, every day, even if you can't do like long stretches, every day I don't care how you do it every day at least four hours of painting wow good advice like just get it done she's like just churn it out churn it out I feel like that's such a clear example of how much more experience gives you more information because she's not stressing out and here's me like I think it's so natural, though, to be, well, firstly, like in a field that is known to be quite unstable. And like I remember being at school and the general conversations that you hear about careers, people would get discouraged from becoming a musician because it's just or they'd say, well, get a degree first and then go because then you've got a backup. And there's always these conversations about finding the security, but it doesn't focus on finding happiness. That's such a cheesy thing to say, but. There's so many people who I know who are in jobs that they really don't enjoy. And I think obviously that stress that comes with making that really brave decision of I'm going to become an artist and this is going to take a lot of work. And that is really scary. You know, I mean, you're doing incredibly, but it must be terrifying. What made you know you wanted to take the plunge into it? Honestly, I think I just had like a moment of madness. I'm not going to lie to you. I think summer was there and I was like, guys. When was this? Take us back. So I think I quit in just before I left for the residency. Yeah, so let's say June 2022. June 2022. And what job were you doing? So I was working as an art director for a magazine. Um, That's a cool job. It was cool. It gave me so much experience, like literally taught me so much about publishing, image placement, creative direction, just how all things work behind the scenes of media publications and online platforming, social media, everything. And it made me like an octopus because you just do everything and then it came to June and I had got the opportunity to go on a residency for a month and I was like okay like off the bat of this I actually really want to give full juice into my work because at the time I was like struggling to find a studio off of the first exhibition and so hang on you were still painting whilst you were doing your day job you were painting what in the evenings and weekends yeah like I would just paint when I can at home I would basically you see the back of my house and just paint there but after I had done a certain piece for the first show in March March 2022 I was like okay this isn't gonna work anymore because I want to work on more pieces and I want to work on bigger pieces and my mom's getting pissed off because I'm getting paints on her chairs (laughs) and I'm getting paints on her fridge she's not happy and I always thought like it would be later in life I could finally get a studio because I was seeing my friends with studios and they're paying like big rent money yeah it's not cheap to have studio space in London. Insane. And there was just so many like sites going, oh, we pride ourselves on being affordable. And it's like £700 for like a tiny 80 foot square. So it was literally by a friend. She had, sorry, they had a studio. 
And they just literally gave me the number to their building manager and I literally was calling 10 times until they picked up because I was like, I'm at my wits end. I cannot come back from this residency without a space. So you took the studio, quit your job and went for it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that takes so much confidence. I'm in awe of how much confidence you must have as, as a 25-year-old because I never... Responsible. <laughs> yeah, like I was just drunk down the pub at 25, like, but also completely lost in terms of what I wanted to do with my career, completely lost. But I definitely did not have the confidence to do that. Do you feel like Um, you mentioned your mentor and maybe the women in your life and people who've instilled that confidence in you and encouraged you and supported you? I think I'm someone who's maybe like unintentionally confident, like... If I really want to do something, if I'm convicted to do something, I would just go out of my way to do it. So you've got, I, like, determination. Yeah. But also for me, it's because I feel like I have a competitive spirit. So as much as this is taking a risk on myself, I do have this innate determination that I will be OK. I always land on my feet. I've got to find a way. So maybe it's a bit of a confidence and a, with a dash of delusion. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the perfect mix, perfect cocktail. If you're enjoying this episode, please subscribe or press the follow button to get the new episodes. And take a second to like, rate and review the podcast because it helps other people find it. You could also share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. I got some really good advice from someone like a month or so ago. It was really tough getting into it and realising how much of a slow grow this is. There were times where I would really get really weary. I was like, did I just upend my life? Like, what am I doing? All my friends have like actual stable careers and I'm like <laughs> like painting and not knowing whether this is going to kick off for me. But she was just like, you in an industry where there is no guarantees, just stop looking for it. Stop looking for someone. Yeah, to tell you that it's going to be okay. That's good advice as well, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable. And just not having that security belt, because there isn't one. Because when things start to get a bit more buzzing around my work, I get messages going like, oh, we really love this and like really nice comments and whatnot. And like, I'd love to talk to you about this. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to lead to something like, whoa. And it's just like fluff and I used to get really like down about it I was like did I do something wrong kind of thing and now it's just realizing it just happens mm. and maybe there will be someone someday who's generally like no I really like your work I really want to support you and invest in your practice and sure great but you can't rely you know, on yeah not relying too much on random empty promises just Make the work first. Make the work first and actually probably just really enjoy doing it because as soon as you stop enjoying doing it and it becomes all about the money or where you get your next show from or who's going to buy your next piece of work, then the joy will just be taken out of it and you won't, that's not what you went into it for. So I think also your technique will develop, won't it? The more you do, your style might change quite significantly Mm. and then that might be your big break, but you won't get to that point without doing the work and churning it out, which is what your, was that your mentor or your Somia, so it's just basically uh, we both went on this residency to see you together, and so me and Somia met there. Somia, Somia Netrabile, Netrabile. And can you explain to us a little bit about what a residency is, like an artist residency residency. for anyone that doesn't know? Basically, an artist residency is a magical time where an artist or artist will be hosted either by a gallery or like an art appreciator that will board the artist for a certain period of time where artists can just research, they can make work or they can just 
chill or just basically it's just a time to kind of regroup and possibly find new inspiration and just a bit of experimenting but also if it's a residency where it's multiple artists from all different parts of the world you just meet people you meet new ideas and you just make friends as well mm, so it's is, like networking as well yeah but like it's not even like you're going out there to network you just vibe with people mm, I imagine them almost being like a submersive yoga retreat almost like as if you're <laughs> if you're a yoga teacher or, or training to be a yoga teacher I can imagine it being like quite a spiritual experience because you're cut off from the world you're focusing you're doing your practice every day you're focusing completely you're meeting like-minded people and I can imagine it off the back of that that you come back feeling really fresh yeah. and inspired and there's loads of stuff loads of ideas that you suddenly have I'm still rolling off ideas from that residency and that was like six months ago <laughs> It was also a moment where I felt so grateful that I picked up the paintbrush again. And just meeting everyone was from all over the world. Everyone was in different stages of their careers, but everyone had such different mediums, but also just different approaches. And it was just nice to learn from them because I think everyone had a bit of more formal experience than I did. So it was just nice to look and learn from other people. And often in these residencies, you'll showcase some of your work so people can get a better understanding of what you do. So you'd show it all at the end yeah that must be kind of quite intimidating as well it wasn't I didn't know because it was just always reiterated there's no pressure to produce these perfect works because it was my first residency when you're in there you kind of realize okay I actually just really want to experience this place and I really just want to be in it and rather than stressing about how much work I need to produce and then thankfully that worked out because I just came back with a bank of images that I still now keep referring back to for works now and I don't think I could have got anything better from my experience mm. there so yeah you said earlier you're surrounded by females mm. in your work and you've got mentors and you go on these residencies and you network and am i correct in saying you haven't experienced discrimination like as an artist in your area because of the well it's twofold like have you experienced it and secondly have you surrounded yourself very deliberately by these particular people where you know your art and your identity are going to be really looked after and fostered mm. and championed I haven't experienced any discrimination that I can think of or put my finger on let's hope that streak keeps running thanks but I think what really kind of made me feel comfortable about being heavily surrounded with like female mentors is that from the jump they were just incredibly transparent with me. I told them, hey, I paint. I don't really have much industry experience, if any. I want to paint. I don't know how to do this. How do we do this? So who were you talking to then in that moment? So I was talking to Molly, but also... Who was your I, mentor? Yeah. And how did you meet Molly? So honestly... Thanks to the algorithm. So basically, I was I saw this Instagram ad about applying for like mentors for people who were just like midway in their careers and just didn't know what they were doing. Artists or any career? Any like creative career. Now I was just like, okay, like why not? Let's give it a shot. Because for me, like I don't really believe that much in like creative applications because I feel like they just don't work. They don't really lead to anything. But I was like, okay, let's just do it. Like whatever. And then I was reading through like all the mentors list and just looking about who would best suit me. And then I was reading Molly's one. I was like, okay, I really want her. And it's a thing where loads of people apply. They read through your applications and the mentors pick who they want to work right. with. So she's an independent curator and she puts on shows across the world and she strictly works with female and non-binary femme artists. And she is an incredible 
incredible person, but also just an amazing curator because she's never trying to dominate you or trying to dominate your own concepts, but also the way that she presents an understanding of your work through who she wants to pair you up with. It's just, I just felt really lucky for starting out to have someone who's just very transparent, but also believes in your work. And then another person was my old boss from my, when I was working for the magazine. She also runs a gallery from Brussels. Your old boss when you worked as an art yeah. director. Her name's Marie. She's amazing. Always just always supportive. When I think about starting painting to now, all my biggest supporters that would just check in they're all women and they're women in positions of power and I really respect it because often because I didn't have experience I would feel really intimidated about saying things or I'd feel sometimes shy about putting myself forward for stuff and they're like no (laughs) so they give you a confidence as well yeah because despite every obstacle that this industry has in their way they're just doing it anyway and they've never made me feel like I can't ask them questions and they're making it different, I guess, as well. I've got mm. a friend who runs an advertising agency and we had quite a lot of conversations when she was setting it up and she is probably one of the kindest people I know. And she was like, I don't want to run a business like a man runs a business because you don't need to run it like that. And I think a lot of women, let's say like in the 80s when it was all about the power woman and the career woman and stuff, I think women mirrored the way that men did things because that was their only example. Mm. Whereas I feel like more recently, women are setting up companies and making changes in a way where they're like, let's not do this how the men have done it because that isn't always the best way. We don't have to mimic or mirror what they're doing. We can do it completely differently. And I feel like in the art world, potentially there's this movement towards that as well, being like, let's change it. Let's completely look at this from a different perspective and treat people differently, talk to people differently, approach it differently. Exactly. It makes it better for just a better experience, the better relationships between artists, curators, gallery owners. Yeah, It's just more ethical as well, Mm. but just also above everything, just more empathetic. As lucky as I feel, I wish this kind of experience was just more widespread and more common. Again, there is no guarantees in this industry that things will work out. But if you can have just great ears to lean on and to have transparency given when it's requested, that would be amazing. Yeah. Authentic caring relationships, basically, is something that would make me strive Mm. and make me do my best work where I felt like there was authenticity and empathy and and respect. Mm. That's where I think a lot of people do their best work, but often that's not how kind of careers and businesses are set up. But I'm really glad you've had that experience (laughs) and that you've got these amazing people supporting you. I'm glad too. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was because of the art industry being connected with modelling as well and the modelling industry, and you do do some modelling and you've been modelling for a few years. Is that right? Two years. Two years. So kind of you've been modelling for longer than you've been a full-time artist. Yes, actually, yeah. (laughs) And I kind of link the two in a weird way in the sense that you're being a model, you must be much more used to kind of having your body being like front and centre and also probably getting to know your body in a way that a lot of people don't with their own because not everyone gets photographed like that and not everybody you know as a model you're used as a prop in many ways aren't you you're there to kind of model the clothes or create a kind of spirit to a brand or whatever so you kind of have to almost detach from your body in a weird way yes and no for me the way 
I took it when I first got into it is that I'm lending myself to someone else's vision. And in essentially being another part, like a worker to this vision, my job is to allow my body to assume it a certain form that creates this vision and makes it work. And for me, I need to realise a certain confidence that allows me to not be scared about assuming all these different forms. Because I think there was a time where it was like getting comfortable with your body, but it was like getting comfortable with my body as long as the outcome was being desirable. And it's like I consciously knew in the back of my mind, I was like, this isn't going to lead anywhere good if this is how I continue to kind of fashion myself, that I can only feel confident and comfortable with my body if I... If you're like appealing to the male gaze. If I I find myself appealing and I'm like, this isn't, this is not going to be a good outcome for you. So I think... But in a weird way, it's like quite difficult to detach modelling from that at the same time, isn't it? I mean, yes and no, it depends on projects and such, because I've done commercial shoots and I've done more just editorial or like art based shoots. And I would say not every shoot is coming out to be desirable or like not desirable as in, but the outcome isn't to be like pretty. And I do these jobs because I really want to put that into practice for myself because modeling is at the very base of it, it's fun. It's a very fun job. It's hard at times, but it's fun. And I think I tend to approach it conceptually when I take commercial jobs versus more editorial jobs. Editorial jobs, I know that it's going to be a bit more experimental and this is where I can push myself. This is where I'm almost testing my mentality towards being desirable or essentially performing desirability. I can be so many things outside of that or in that and around it. Like there's so much to express within the body in front of the lens with that versus commercial shoots where it's something more but standard expected. But I I think through modeling, I've learned to appreciate both. And I think fortunately, I started doing it at a time as a young adult where I was developing a stronger vision of what I saw myself as, as a woman physically and like internally what I wanted to feel like. So coming into it, I can now feel comfortable saying no to some things and yes to some jobs. Yeah. Like I would say no to it because I'm just like, okay, I actually don't want to do it. And yes to other things. Whereas I think say just a few years ago, if I was like 19, 20, it would have been a completely different thing where I'm like, I don't know mm. if I can do this. Like, Do you think that art has helped with that? Because, you know, there's so much of your art that is about your sense of self, but it's mm. also kind of just about fleshy bodies and like yeah. the materiality of the body. And I love on Instagram, you kind of zoom in on certain parts of your mm. paintings of like folds of skin or like, you know, the gaps in your neck or your armpit. Mm. And I feel like you're kind of experimenting in a sense with your body that is experimenting with the idea of it being this fleshy material part of nature rather than it being like you say something desirable and it links to you saying as well that you didn't want your art to be seen as sexy because you're not putting the sex in it you're just using your body yeah yeah because again once you let go of this control need to perform or like be desirable like there's so much more there's so much more like now I'm not focused my composition to be like appealing I just want to really get in and make 
and form the folds and form muscle carvings of the form with paint. I am truly trying to explore the form that I'm trying to depict. And that focus, when you like, for example, when you just discussed about me like zooming in folds and stuff like that, I was like, it's not even about the, like, the fleshy bits. I'm just trying to show you like how much work I've been, like, ever I've You're showing the this. detail. But, yeah, like, but for it, me, that is the detail as well. Like, And also, I'm, remember that I'm looking at it from, you know, a lot of what this podcast is about mm-hmm. and a lot of what I'm doing is about post-humanism, which mm-hmm. looks a lot at the body and the mm-hmm. role of the human body and the role of like the return to the importance of flesh. And instead of being this lofty, transhumanism for example is Mm -hmm. about like one day we'll be in cyberspace and we'll live forever and posthumanism is like no 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 let's be in the now let's be with nature let's be in our bodies so I'm coming at it from that lens Mm -hmm. so I guess you always see what you're looking for don't you so like the reason I love those close-ups is because it's it's a body like it's a real fleshy body and you can really feel that through your art and I feel like that's probably just me coming from that lens that definitely won't be what everyone else sees like (laughs) everyone will see it differently won't they yeah But no, the detail of the painting itself, like the technique is stunning. Don't let my uh, opinion like... (laughs) That is just one of the biggest things that I guess in early adulthood, I think that's one of the biggest things I can say I'm proud of. And then one of the biggest things I've continued to work on is the release of this idea of wanting to be desirable. It really does corrupt things and it does hinder you. Yeah, it's so difficult to move away from as well, even when you're really actively trying. Because I do think there is links to, again, everybody wants someone. We're human beings, like everybody wants some kind of affection or that in yeah. some kind of way. It does creep into thoughts or does creep into processes. But I just, there was such a strong desire in my work. I was like, I don't want that. I mm. really don't want that. Because when I see images that are just pushing with composition of the background but also composition of form I love it I absolutely love it I want to be able to do that and I want to be able to do that without any fear and without any hesitation that is what I want for things that come from my hands breaking away from kind of stereotypical ideas of beauty yeah and me as a person like I just never really consider myself as stereotypical beauty so I think what my understanding in terms of beauty was, I think I pushed back on it quite a lot. Like when I met friends and they were like, oh, like you're really pretty. Like I hated it. Mm. I did not like someone telling me that because I just didn't know how I fitted into anyone's idea of being like beautiful. It felt very uncomfortable when people kind of hone in too much about like what I look like. But bit by bit, I think I grew in confidence to a point where I can understand different things that I do and how that makes me feel good as a person. And now that I'm reaching this point where like, I feel pretty or I feel beautiful and I feel good about myself, okay, that's done. Now, the next step is how can I have this comfort of feeling good in myself, but not using that as a way to be desirable. Now let's be something else. And I think... What really stamped that for me is I did a shoot at the end of 2020. It was like a completely nude shoot. And when I first got the call to do it, I was just like, yeah. And on the way there, I was like, a year ago, I would have never, ever said yes to this. 
It I'll, must have been so... I mean, it, for I, most people, that would be terrifying. I wasn't. That's amazing. And I was just like, doing it, I just felt so good. I was like, I don't care. I'm going to twist. I'm going to be in this chair, just contort, like anything. And I'm just going to have fun because I've seen what the photographer, the vision that they have. And I'm like, yeah, I love your work. As a photographer, how you captured the human essence in your work. And I was like, I get to be a part of that. Great coming off of that like I felt like such a high because I was like I let myself not feel so weighed down about being some kind of conform pretty or whatever and I just said I want to be part of this project and I'm just gonna let my form do what it does and so that shoot, that shoot ends up being a cover no way and you, um, were, you were on the cover yeah of the of that magazine and then those old feelings Loki came back when I got told I was, like, I was like oh my god yeah like I'm relinquishing all this control and then a bit of that came back when I was like okay now people are gonna see this not and surprised and you're not just going to be in the magazine, you're on the magazine. On the cover. Were and you proud of the cover as well? I was in the end. Well, I think when I first saw it, I was like, guys, like, I'm really like naked on this cover. But then I I just had to be honest with myself. I was like, no one's perfect. But no one, it's very difficult to find someone who absolutely loves every part of their yeah. body. Just like, I was like, okay, I accept this. At first, I was scared. When I was like, no, precious, you did this because there was a freedom in it. And... This is what you look like. This is what you look like. This is what you look like. Great. And there's such a power in being like totally accepting of that as well. Yeah. This is my body and it's fucking amazing. And when that happened, I think that really kicked off me just not caring about desirability in my work. And again, what is the concepts you're trying to explore? It's not about you looking pretty. You're just present in your work because you are the form. Now let's let's work because it was the biggest lesson so far that I've had to learn about myself and the biggest development. As in you'd grown in confidence and you'd grown in the acceptance and the feeling of liberation and mm. all of that. Yeah. I mean, and like everyone still struggles with these from time to time, but no, like consider that you've actually made some kind of progression, you've made some kind of development and you then would not be able to do the things that you want to do now. Yeah, oh my God. I'm excited <laughs> to see what comes next then if this is only kind of getting better. What shows or what, what are you working on at the moment and what mm. kind of shows can we expect where can we send people to find your to find yeah. your art? So you can probably keep, if you keep up with She Curates or me, SheCurates.com. So, SheCurates.com or on the Instagram is She Curates. And your Instagram is Precious with three underscores because someone took my name. So Precious three underscores Opara. <laughs> well, Precious Opara, thank you so much for being on Bodies in the Post. It was such a pleasure to chat with you about your work and I'm so excited to see what comes next. Yay, thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Bodies in the Post with artist Precious Opara. For more episodes with artists that explore the bounds of humanity, please take a look at previous episodes and follow the show to get new episodes being released over the next few weeks and months.